0: Hello, this is Black Country Blokes, Tune the Fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot. Hello, this is Black Country Blokes, Tune the Fat. Listen, listen.
1: listen.
0: I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk; just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning: there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the mums, especially my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen. I've been, yeah, it's the Black Country Blokes Tunified with me, Kev Dillon, Aaron Jew, Lee Cadman, and today our very special guest is Cherry Gillings. Now Cherry Gillings, come on, when we're all locked up in our own homes, which no doubt we soon will be again, but she had such a wonderful, wonderful episode, and I want to get back on, in the flesh, we met just, just before lockdown on a mental health awareness course with Mental Health First CIC. So Cherry, thank you so much for coming back on. But uh, for those who didn't uh, see her episode, I recommend you go into it. But, Jerry, just, just a, a brief account of your story.
2: So, um, starting really um, to say that I, I used to be an active crack user. So I had a crack addiction and then that became a heroin addiction. And um, uh, within a couple of short years, I ended up in prison and um, served a long sentence. A seven-year sentence, in fact, and um, came out of that in 1999. And then, of course, I didn't. I didn't use again. I was on a mission to never hand my life over to those kinds of authorities again. And uh, I think I told you this before. Um, my perspective on it was that my daughter had paid the price for that. So that really, she really was the reason for me not to go back to that to, to that kind of active addiction.
0: When you, when you mean she paid the price, was that like not having mommy around?
2: Yeah, because for those years, she had to live with a nan in, in, in Liverpool and, um, you know, occasionally come and visit me in the prison. And, you know, the hardest experience of that time was my daughter coming to see me and leaving and watching her leave. No, I, I for me, that was enough. That was enough for me to, like... This is not okay and I never want to experience this again and I never want her to to suffer on my behalf again you know
0: so so I've got friends and uh, they've been in prison and mm-hmm. some of them still are in prison and they say the same when your loved ones especially your children or your mm-hmm. grandchildren mm-hmm. come and see dad or granddad in prison mm-hmm. it must be so tough Like yes. when, when you're back in that cell away from yes. your loved ones yes
2: yes you're right and Oftentimes what has to happen for folks that are in custody is that they, they have to mask those feelings, they have to mask up and kind of push it down in order to survive and get through the experience. But I think if, if you know, when the door's closed, if you can allow yourself to feel those feelings, they're giving you an indication of actually, what's really important in my life is not within these four walls right now. What's really important is outside of here, And that's telling us something that, you know, too often, People don't pay attention to that. They just push the feelings down and crack on with the sentence. And you know, everyone's acting a tough guy again and nothing's getting through. We're all impervious to feelings. But actually, as you know, people do feel it. You know? And those feelings, those that pain, that hurt can be used to fuel your life outside and make sure that you don't go back. It's true.
0: Was there much help when you're inside?
2: Um you know what, there wasn't, in fact, my experience so in terms of help of addiction, um back then there wasn't an awful lot. And um interesting, when I when I was on my way out, I met with one of the drug one of the drug workers and um her view was, well, you've been here, you've been clean. So you don't really need treatment on your way out, you don't really need anything, you know, when when you come out. So just, just kind of keep going. And um, I trained as a fitness instructor um, in in the last kind of season of my sentence. And um, that's what I got straight into. I started working at a gym and teaching loads of classes and just being focused on that health and fitness thing. Like this is like 1999. So like many years ago, (laughs) Um, I did that for about uh, till 2004 when I moved. 2003 I moved down here, carried on teaching for a little while and then just stopped yeah so not a lot of support in terms of uh, what i think of as like regenerative input you know something that says to you you can be different this doesn't have to be the rest of your life um i used to um want to meet people who hadn't gone back whereas when you're doing a long sentence what happens is you see people coming in going out coming in and going out and it drives you nuts and um I used to think, oh, God, if I could just meet one person who didn't come back, who, who you know, who got out and, never, and and didn't return to this kind of crazy lifestyle. And then um, some years later, I was teaching at a university in Greenwich, which is another long story which I won't go into, but I managed to be able to be teaching at a university in London. And um, in the middle of me doing this lecturing on uh, anti-discriminatory practice in social work, that's what I was teaching about, I realised that nobody in the room knew that I was a former crackhead. Nobody in the room knew that I was an ex-offender. It was utterly irrelevant. What they expected me to be able to do was to deliver this conversation. It was like, just this moment of, wow, okay, doesn't matter.
0: How remarkable, because I love my experience with my friends. They've cleaned up, they've been there for a long time and Mm -hmm. they're promising they're never gonna do it. They come out, they've got nowhere to live, They've got no ways to make money. They've made. They've got the qualifications by being in, mm-hmm. but no one wants to give a car a chance. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, they're back to making money. Mm-hmm. Or they think, you know what, I've been 10 years, on clean, I'll just have one. Mm-hmm. I'll reward myself. And yeah. the next thing you know, boom, back in there. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think it's a common story. It's not the story, I think, for, for the majority of people. But I, I, I think that on some level, you have to make a decision. You Absolutely have to make a decision. I am not going back no matter what. I am not picking up no matter what. And um, yeah, for me, it's that, you know, make a decision and then get as much support as you can to hold and honor that decision. Like I think, you know, if you're somebody's friend and they've made that decision, then you're a guy who's gonna support them. And what they might need is the humility, the willingness to come and say, you know, what, Kev, I've made this decision, but it's really hard, mate, help me out. And you, I know you're always going to do that. So the courage to ask for support, ask for help, go for therapy, um, you know, to absolutely demand. It's one of the things we did on the Mental Health First Day course, wasn't it? Was to not take no for an answer. You know, was to keep going back and speaking to your doctor, to keep knocking on the door and asking for support and help. And, and I think that, I think that that's the most important thing, making a decision, absolutely making a decision to not go back.
1: I can imagine that's one of the hardest things to do as well, ask for help. I know, we, you know we've heard this and we talk about this quite often on the podcast, mm-hmm. that, that men aren't asking for help. Yeah. That's but, one of the reasons they get into mental health yes. illnesses. Yes. And no doubt the same goes with addiction, whether ha- it be gambling, drugs, alcohol. Yeah,
0: but It's having the courage yeah. to ask for help. That's not a sign of weakness, no, saying, no, no, no. I need help either. Mm. I'm struggling with depression, anxiety, or I'm struggling with this addiction. That is just a part, but it's having that courage to ask for help. And that's what so many people haven't gotten and they end up doing something heinous or Mm -hmm. they keep the pattern that keeps repeating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you'd like to say, Aaron?
3: Yeah, so obviously this is the first time, uh, Sherry, I've heard your story. So thank you, obviously, for sharing that. I think it's very, very brave to openly just say how it is. So I just want to acknowledge you, obviously, for that. Um, you said a couple of points actually. If I may, just go over them. I think initially, when you said your daughter paid the price, that really resonated with me instantly. Um, so I'm, I'm very fortunate. My, my parents ha- have not suffered with addiction, but some some of the closest people in my life have. Uh, alcohol alcoholics run through my family. Um, this year, uh, during COVID, I lost probably the most important one of the most important people in my life. And again, it was just uh, you know 30 years of alcohol abuse. And it just just kind of took its toll. Um, and we do pay pay the price, whether he was incarcerated or whether he's just there sitting on a bed, it, unable to move. Every day we pay that price and it's, you know, we're, we're wanting him to do better, to change his life and we were never seeing it. So fully resonate with that. And then um, just a the second bit, I think it's really important when you said one about the feelings and, and secondly about the decisions, I think, not just men, I mean you just submitted it yourself there. It's 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 a generational problem with feelings. For some reason, we I don't know if it's our body's mechanism of trying to make us survive and just hang on and look after us that we just push these feelings down and think, let's just get on with the day. Let's just carry on and we'll we'll deal with that later. And what actually happens is you don't deal with it almost until it's too late, um, which is dangerous. But I absolutely love the decision thing. And I think if you can, like you said, make that honest decision with yourself and then through your actions. And through your network, uh, help yourself by ensuring that you have the right support around you to make sure that decisions then played out. That's that's the way that you can move forward. But uh, yeah, it really resonated with me. Thank you for sharing.
0: I think what you said as well when you're doing your lecture and you, you, you're there and you almost smirked yourself, thinking you lost listening to Cherry now. 20 years ago you'd yeah. been walking past me saying oh you're a life your life's over and done with oh what have you done you mm-hmm. must have had terrible this, this. Mm-hmm. but then what you've become is remarkable but we can only do that with self strength and a bit of love to help yeah. us along the way yeah. Yeah.
3: sorry guys can I just quickly just ask something there as well um, as you said that Kev I think that was a great point Sherry how was you in terms of being kind with yourself um, just on, on the base of like what, what Kev's saying there because this is something that obviously I try and I try and do it myself. You know, I'm probably my worst critic as we all tend to be. But during this process, when you knowing you've got an addiction, your your daughter's not not where your daughter doesn't have the mom that she needs around her and stuff, and you're going through all this. How did you process that? And how did you then become better at being kind to yourself? Because you look like you're in a great place now, which is brilliant to see.
2: So I have to be really honest and say that in the beginning I was not kind. I was not kind to myself. It wasn't about being kind to myself, it was about as far as I could, correcting the mess that I'd made. And so how I described it previously was that, imagine you'd set your life on fire. And what you begin to do is go, oh my God, I set my life on fire. And you start walking backwards going, oh my God, look at the mess I've made, look at the mess I've made. And you bump into stuff because you're determined to get away from the mess that you've made. Now, it took me... um, about a year being released to think about actually where do I want to go and that was the beginning of kind of being goal-driven, goal-setting, charging forwards for the next thing. I can remember I came out, I was on parole and I remember flying into the parole office one day in floods of tears and the parole officer saying yeah I was waiting for this to happen because I started running and I didn't stop. So initially, it wasn't about being kind. Initially, it was about, you've got some catching up to do, girl. You've got some making up to do, girl. You know? like, like that was a serious mistake and you've got to put some stuff right. So I fly to uni, I, you know, go through those processes. The self-kindness, the self-compassion um, really began actually a few years ago, just a few years ago. Um, I was introduced to mindfulness-based CBT through a, a therapist at Dudley Talking Therapies. So I'm um, long term in recovery. Um, I have uh, come out of an a, a, a abusive uh, relationship. I've uh, been made redundant at work and I'm having panic attacks and I can't stay on the train to go to work. And I have to get off the train and sit on the platform and my heart's pounding. I think I'm going to die and I have to wait then for another train to go home in the other direction. So really, my head is falling off. And um Eventually, I've got to the doctor and I've been recommended for this, you know, process uh, CBT. And one of the exercises, very early exercises she taught me was a body scan. And um, that was the beginning of my journey into mindfulness. So this is probably about four years ago now. And that's where the loving kindness, the self-compassion as a practice and a regular activity and a mindset shift came in. Like, it's okay to be goal driven, but if your self-worth is riding on that activity, you're always going to crash at some point. So self-compassion and self-kindness and all of those things, they they kind of point you in a different direction. They say, you would have heard this in the poetry I've been writing recently, isn't it, that actually something about us is unharmed, untainted, undamaged by no matter all of the experiences that we've been through, right? And um, from that place, actually, I can play, I can experiment, I can come on a podcast and... Like, my well-being isn't riding on those things,
0: so. I love that with the fire, because you're so right. I've balls up, i oh, move away from it, move away, and the fire's still there, and even though I'm stepping away, the fire's growing, mm-hmm. I'm still, I can feel the heat. Mm-hmm. So what I've got to do is almost stop mm-hmm. and face the fire, mm-hmm. and then once the fire, I've, I haven't necessarily put it out, but calmed it down so I can suss it out. Then I can move on with the rest of my life. Yeah. If I run, that's still burning. Yeah. I love that analogy. Yeah.
2: I guess the other one, Kev, is that um you can't drive whilst looking in the rearview mirror. Right?
0: It's but- better I don't drive anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but when I come out of uh, prison, actually, that's all I'm looking at is the rearview mirror. All I'm looking at is the mess that I've made. And if you try and drive, try and move your vehicle, just looking in the rearview mirror, you're going to hit something and cause yourself and other people harm. And at some point, at some point. You start to look in the bigger screen. You start to look at the, you know, actually through that windscreen to where you're gonna go, and and that's and that's kind of what I've been doing. So,
0: and I think like the that, do you remember that program. My name is Earl.
2: Yes. And everyone who
0: wronged had to tick it off, and I think.
2: Like, the, <laughs> the, but the real world
0: ain't <laughs> like that, is it? You can't be going. Well, I I stepped on his <laughs> toe back in, and I stole his pencil. But what we've got to do is, if someone comes into our life from the past, yeah. You know, address it as the new person, Mm -hmm. but every person I meet along my journey in Mm -hmm. future, Mm -hmm. try and better their lives Mm -hmm. because the past has happened. Mm -hmm. But you know, tomorrow hasn't yet come.
1: Yes. Yes. Sorry, can I just um say that if anyone does have a question for Sherry, just please send it in um Endeavor training as as ask if they can ask a question. So yeah, carry on, ask the question. Um and hopefully she can answer it for you.
0: But as I say, like Cherry, since she come on, on I was only watching it today. So brilliant, and we were, uh, we were having a laugh. And she was saying, on a on the in lockdown, she just started from a couch to five k. And now we we'll watch her on uh, um, Face I. Eh? Could she <laughs> run all around the place? Isn't a different woman, aren't you?
2: Yeah, it's been it's been really fun, really, because um, my friend uh, she set up this virtual. What do you call it? Lockdown couch to five k. Virtual lockdown couch to five k. And she added me to the group, you know, when somebody does that to you on Facebook, right? So she's added me to the group and I'm thinking, oh my God, I haven't won for years and I'm not, and I'm not playing. That was my kind of stance on it. But after about two weeks, I'm seeing people like, they're starting, thinking, okay, you know what, I'll try. And then of course, I've spoken to you and I'm thinking a couple of weeks in and I'm dying trying to run 90 seconds, isn't it? Which was funny. But by the, um, maybe by 10 weeks, I'd run 10 kilometers and I couldn't believe it myself. It's like, And then a couple of weeks later, I would won 10K in 72, which I've taken 10 minutes off my time, so I was buzzing. I haven't been running for a couple of weeks now, and my mates on at me, you know what, you need to go running, get running, get running. Um, Since then, I've started going to the gym as well. So at the point of lockdown, I think I had this body fat percentage. It was about like 38% or something, not like that. And you wouldn't have known kind of yeah. looking, but I knew. And when I found out, I was like mortified because like the scales in it, like, oh my god, 38% body fat. And they uh, have messaged my mates, help. And they've uh, gone back to my keto, gone back to fasting regularly. And um so there's this little measurement tool. This this is fun, right? 21% body fat. Now. Brilliant. 21% and it says that I'm fit. I'm like, <laughs> <some of that." laughs> it's just fun. But that's what I mean about it. you can play. You can play because, like, you know that you're okay. You're always okay. So, mm-hmm. you know what? We can go to the gym and lift a few weights and miss a few reps and it doesn't matter. Yeah. 20 years ago, I missed a few reps. I was devastated, mm-hmm. you know? Like, oh, can't push the certain weight. Devastated not going back to the gym like, because my whole kind of everything was riding on it. When I got made redundant, my, um, a huge part of my identity was riding on the work that I did. Huge part. Because part of the story was, look where I was 20 odd years ago, and now I'm doing something good in the world and it's gone. Um, how, like, you can you can see how we could formulate that story, but actually it's not the real story, is it? Because we're still here.
0: We were talking about this on the phone the other day, weren't we? And I think the reason why um, there's such a high aggression banter to around, because there's so many men out there and we've lost our identity or mm. the fear of losing our identity. I can't provide. I uh-huh. can't get my children holidays. Uh-huh. I can't buy the back. So what uh-huh. I'll do, I'm a man. And uh, I might have a job, but I can still fight. Yes. And I'm going to show you I'm a man. Yes. And if he looks at you the wrong way, cherry, I'll knock yes. him. And so we're, we've, we've exchanged that, that identity as being the provider to, yeah. I am the protector, even mm. though sometimes there's nothing to be protected mm. of. And I, I've done this myself, mm. you know, and when I'm feeling vulnerable, but I'm still a man, I can still throw a couple. Yeah. yeah. And, and the ones who love you, the one that you're trying to protect it, you, end up scaring them and pushing them yes. away. Instead of putting them in, we're pushing them yes. away. Absolutely. Let's find that identity. But as you said, absolutely. is it the right identity? We
1: do have a questioning. I don't know whether you can see that
0: up there
1: on there. Do you want to read it out,
0: bro? I knew you was going to ask me that. With <laughs> <laughs> no good asking I'm me.
1: absolutely terrible at reading these out. We'll have a go. Hi, Sherry. Interesting listening to your journey. Can I ask a question? In the early days, did you go through self-prophesizing feelings?
2: So I'm wondering when you ask that question, if you're talking about the idea that returning to prison was inevitable. Yeah, there you go. Self-fulfilling prophecies, the phenomenon of someone predicting. Or Thank you, Aaron. Something. Yeah. So um, that was the story that the prison officers told me as I left, and they told me before leaving. You know, they, they love to tell you these things. It's like some little power play that happens for some people that work in prison, and um, they like to remind you the odds are against you, and you know, most likely you'll be back. We'll see you in six months, and all this kind of stuff, and all of this suspicion of you know, when you leave, don't look back and look at the gates, and all this kind of whole heap of suspicion around it. Um. I think I said this, isn't it, the important thing is to make a decision, I'm not going back, I'm not going back, and particularly um, as a black woman, my sense of it was that I cannot give these folks in this kind of society any reason to have my life again. I, I felt like that my life had been like taken on so many different levels, so many different times, that... There was no way I was going to give these guys a chance to get me again. Not a chance. So in that way, the prophecy, it becomes self-fulfilling. If I believe it, it becomes, you know, that, that's the key, right? In um in, in recovery, you'll hear phrases like this: it works if you work it. And, um, and and oftentimes people attribute the power then, well, the program works if you work it. It's like, no, you are the power that works the program. Same way, self-fulfilling prophecy. The prophecy works if you work it. If I believe it, then it's gonna come into play. But you know what? I wasn't having it. <laughs> I'm not having it. So um I think that was some fire that I came out with. I'm not going back, I'm not having it.
1: Um it's amazing in, in the depths to, of all that, you life. can still still have that strength and that conviction, you know, after just coming out of prison, you'd have thought my my, my thing you'd be quite feel be quite beaten or quite broken by it all. But actually to come out and, and for, obviously you'd have been happy to be out, but to still have that fight in you to to get up and keep going. I, I think it's because of that.
2: So, yeah. you know, people talk about um, uh, post-traumatic growth today instead of always talking about PTSD. And, and one of the things of that is that when we overcome challenges, when we overcome the difficulties, somehow that strengthens us in ways that we can't possibly know about. So... I, I agree that I came out, like, battered, which is why I was, like, on a mission. Quick, mm-hmm. quick, one, one, go fast, go hard. And, um, you know, I guess what you learn over time and uh, as you grow a bit older is actually slow down a little bit, slow down a little bit. Like, because of exactly what you've said is why I had so much riding on it. I felt broken. I felt like I had something to prove. So, um, and the funny story about that is that when my mum died in 2010, I stopped setting goals. she, she died and I was like what was the point of all of that all of that effort all of that chasing things all of that becoming something being somebody doing you know good things with your life um so I stopped setting goals and then for for years I was just kind of always going with the flow you know what that's not my nature my my energy is not I'm not that person. Actually, I feel much better when I've got a, a goal and I'm going for it, which is funny because lockdown kind of gave me some. Like the couch to the 5K was one of those tiny examples of okay, set your target and, and just try, you know, just keep doing it. And then and then you get there and you're like, well, actually it works. Let me keep doing that.
0: So what yeah. lived the spark then left your mum died and you know, look at set goals. When did you start going? This ain't me.
2: So when I had to get out of this difficult relationship, I um, I read this book called The Serenity Principle. Uh, yes, yeah, it's called The Serenity Principle, and it's written by a guy called Joseph Bailey. And within the first three, four pages of reading this book, I just had the sense again that nothing was going to make me happy here. Nothing here was going to change unless I made something change. It just wasn't going to happen. and. <laughs> called a driving instructor. This is like crazy plan. Driving instructor, I thought I'm gonna pass my driving test, gonna get a car and I'm gonna leave. That's what I'm gonna do. Dead or night, whatever <laughs> I've gotta do, that's gonna be, like, I'm sure there's more sensible ways <laughs> and far more rational ways of trying but to get time. But yeah. That was the way. And um, actually that's what happened within six months. i you know, passed my test, got a vehicle and gone. And then another round, another layer of healing work began. Quite interesting
0: and one of the great things that's come out of um lockdown you started writing again haven't you and
2: yeah which i didn't really expect to do that i think i'm one of the things i was just i was just writing and i don't really know why i'm writing again i'm just writing again and isn't that's another expression of just being able to play like it doesn't matter i just do it because i can it, it's not it's not trying to get anywhere. It's not trying to be anything. It's just an expression. It's a way of showing up. Just doing it because you enjoy it. Yeah, just yeah. doing it because you enjoy it.
0: But How many people that, I'm only going to write if I'm going to be a great settler. I'm only going to sing if I'm going to be on top of the pops. And if you enjoy singing, sing.
1: Well, I think we, we did that with this podcast, didn't we? None of us set out to go. i tell you what, we want to be newspaper. We want to be on the radio. It wasn't about that. It was about getting together and, and just spreading mental health. is fine. Yes, and it and it has took off a lot more than probably I thought it would. Anyway, yes. Um, but ultimately, we do it because we enjoy it. Yeah, and you
0: if know, you enjoy it, keep doing it.
1: Keep doing it? it. I mean, we're, you can tell we enjoy it because we're sitting in a freezing cold <laughs> box gym to begin with. You know,
0: you don't well, yeah. you
3: don't do that unless you are enjoy doing what you're doing. So,
0: any feedback, Aaron? Anything you want to say, bro?
3: No, absolutely. I, I'm agreeing with uh, what all three of you said there. Um, the only thing I'd probably add, um, not to just play devil's advocate, but I find in my life i have 90 percent of things i love just to do so i try and make sure that in the day i'm doing just things i enjoy whether i'm good at it or not for example i try and play the guitar and i'm probably like the worst learner ever for example but then i do have other things where i'm very competitive with myself and it's kind of of the nature that i now want this to be the best for example um like for find your voice which is a kind of like a sister um podcast of this i want that to be in its niche the best because i don't know it's just like always been a goal it's something that i written at the same time even in myself from like a fitness perspective so again uh, i've been a personal trainer for about 10 years i find fitness is kind of my meditation my my place of just being with myself i want to be the best i can possibly be now although i'm not competing with nobody else i have a different edge to when i'm doing fitness because i won't just do an 80 percent workout that doesn't sit with me i'll be beating myself up whereas 80 percent on the guitar for example yeah i'm okay with it but definitely like in relation to this podcast, I feel like it's it's a lot more sustainable because we enjoy it. I enjoy having these conversations. It's therapeutic for ourselves. Whereas if it became like we have to be the best, with all due respect to how how wonderful this is, it's never going to be something that's going to appeal to the masses. So we kind of accepted that. So it's like, well, let's just enjoy the ride. And and I love it. So I think that's great points.
0: What you said, it's... um. Have we got to be the best or have I got to be the best I can be at this? Mm-hmm. Like like today, I, I feel vile. You know what I mean? I, I haven't been very well all day, but I still turn up and through lockdown. Mm-hmm. Another corona, by the way. I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm just not robust. Yeah. But you turn up and you give your best doesn't mean yeah. I'm going to be the greatest of all time. It's just, I'm going to be the best me I can be, whether it's boxing instructing, being a father or a husband. You know, whatever I do, I throw myself into And if, you know, and I think that's what we've got to do, if you're going to do something, do it well. Doesn't mean you've got to be the best, but do it to the best of your abilities. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I
2: think that's really important what you're saying and what both of you are saying as well, in that who determines what best is? Mm. Mm. So if you to look at some of the stuff that's happening on social media with the kids right now, Mm. you know, there's kids that are starving themselves, trying to be the best. Like best at what? You said, who set? Who who set the levels? Hmm? You know, and and guys, guys are doing this now. Wonderful thing happened a couple of days ago. Um, you know, Rihanna launched the underwear brand and a lingerie brand even, and um, she has included men's kind of boxes and all that stuff in it, and she's used some O A. Uh, Oversized guys, like I think that's what you call them. Plus size models, plus size Kept guys. Available, yeah, Rihanna, yeah, I'm yeah. Here, Brianna <laughs> <laughs> And um, I, I will think... very nice. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's wonderful? Like, like the men's response to those models on Twitter was amazing. Like, so all these guys are going, "Hey, look, that's me up there. I can see me now." Like. I like going to the gym and I can hear Aaron likes going to the gym and on some level we're kind of going, really? But actually, everybody's included, everybody's mm. acceptable and, um like, what a message, right? Mm-hmm. So you can be obsessed with best, but actually, when you kind of unpick that a little bit, it's uh, who's determining
0: with body, my best or... And with body dysmorphia, whether you're ripped up with six packs mm-hmm. and large breasts and this, whatever it is, you pick yourself apart. Yeah. I remember when I was in my height of fitness, and I'd look at myself and I go, I'm too, I could walk past the mirror three times and see something completely different. Yeah. And not one of those things I saw was good. It was, yeah. you're too skinny. Oh, no, your arms yeah. are too skinny. Oh, mm-hmm. you've got a bit of fat here. Mm-hmm. And every time I walk past, and mm-hmm. it's only until late like, maturity where you start to love yourself and, all the exercise all the, the drugs the booze mm-hmm. the partners you're mm-hmm. with and mm-hmm. if you don't love yourself mm-hmm. but that doesn't just come over time does it it's it's an epiphany or yeah. a relationship or yeah. whatever it is because that starts with home doesn't mm-hmm. it in your in, in, in your in your house mm-hmm. in your head mm-hmm. and you know that's why i think we've got to reach out and be nice to each other and it's it hasn't got to be oh you're looking slim but it's just you're looking well you're looking happy yeah. you look, you know yeah. are you doing
2: something different you're looking good yeah or even just acknowledging that i just love it when you're around mm-hmm. you know like it's fun to hang out with you i just your company's great man you know just things that point people in a different direction to what you value and appreciate about them and you know i think that's the key there isn't it i think uh
1: a lot of value is put on looks now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's no, um, well. that's we need to change, shift that, and have value as a as a person, not
0: just the way mm-hmm. you look. So imagine something. I've got so many friends being as ugly as I am. <laughs> 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 but, well, going right? will ask uh, you today, cherry because I'd love you to read one of these poems, if it's all right.
1: Oh, yes. I don't so, mind. We do have a question. That's um, a question. We're saying Adam, sorry. As well. Well, yeah, well, you are sorting that out? This is for all of us. So it is, if you could write yourself a note and lock it in a safe for 10 years on an island where you cannot open it, what would, it, what would you, tell you tell yourself?
0: Um, as, as I am at this particular moment, um, because what would That's I put to my... S- <laughs> because if it had been 10 years ago, I'd just keep the faith or, you know, tomorrow will be okay. Uh, you'll be okay. You'll find someone who loves you. Uh, st- stay pure to yourself and don't be led by others. If you believe in yourself, you can overcome it.
3: Yeah, bro. Over to Aaron. Over to Aaron. <laughs> well, well, Kev said quite a few there, so I was going to steal some of Kev's. Um, <laughs> it's, it's quite a difficult one. Um, I don't know, without, without kind of sounding cliche or anything, I'd probably just write something as simple as, you might not even be here in 10 years um, to myself. As a kind of then to maybe remind myself on a daily basis to really try and live like like Lee said. Lee said a great point within my values. Um, you know, never never sell out. I don't want to look back in ten years and be like, well, you went through an uncomfortable part here and it wasn't convenient and you sold out. Like I'm very very strict on values. I believe that is more important than looks or however you appear on Instagram. So, uh, you know, I hope if I, if I was to make it ten years, I could look back and just be proud of myself that I that I did that really
1: simple. Just just be happy. Just uh you know, let's let's forget about everyone else and what everyone else is doing. The only people that actually matter are the, the people close to you. And that goes for good and bad comments. You know, you don't take it all, all to heart, good or bad.
0: My mum always used to say saying to me and it got me for a lot of my stuff in life, you're as good as anyone and better for most. Anything right. you anything you put to yourself, Cherry?
2: I'm, I'm struggling with the question, funnily enough. Um, I'm trying to place it like, am I going 10 years back to me now or 10 years from now forward? And, um,
0: if it was 10 years ago, what would you have wrote to yourself now?
2: Or if you want to get forward? I probably would have way? said, keep going. It's probably what I would have said to myself 10 years ago, just keep going because, you know, 2010 is, yeah, just keep going, keep going, put one foot in front of the other, keep going. Yeah. Um, if I was receiving a note for myself 10 years in the future, I'd like it to say, thank you. You did well. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, yeah, man, I gave myself a good 10 years. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yep.
1: Thank you for that question. That was very uh, thought-provoking, that
0: one. I can imagine I'll have a note from myself at 10 years going, why the hell didn't you look after yourself, Kev?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> oh so they lies the power of the question right? because somebody might just think that like, why why didn't i look after myself <laughs> yeah well good 10 years is over there you're here now so what can you do it's like there's the power in the question isn't it
0: well I always say my body's like a temple that's why it's in ruins
2: <laughs> <laughs> so funny okay so am i must have found this poems that's yeah, what of we course. we're supposed to be doing isn't it as i
0: say like um uh, you can follow Cherry Gillings on her Facebook, but um, she started writing. So and I often share them, either on my page, on my Facebook page, or sometimes I share them on the Black Country page, and it's remarkable. I'd like her to read it now so we can talk about it. And when, when I heard it, her words were so pointed to me. Um, and it's every person I've known with addiction will identify with this uh, with this poem.
2: So this is called Crack-cident. crack-cident. I didn't mean to get addicted. I so didn't. It was a crack accident, an unfortunate set of circumstances that caused the crash. No intention, no purpose, except for desire, except for the desire to run as far from the terror, as far from the failure, as far from the loss, as far from the abuse, as far from the hatred, as far from the if this, if that, then this, then that. Like when you eat cake, did you mean to get fat? And it works, you know, you get away fast and furiously for a moment, free. Ah, relief. And You do it again. An addicted one is working perfectly, though it's hard for you to see through the filters of judgment and loss and pain. Hard to see yourself. You spend, you fuck, you game, fossil-fueled, life-filled with plastic things, the latest, greatest, ch- child-slave mind, minerals, and the hottest gadgets, and credit card binges, and still... We're all working perfectly, right? Look carefully. The desire to feel better is life moving through towards better feeling in a body that just just doesn't yet have the tools for the healing. So it does the best it can. It takes the shortest possible route to fix that funk, to avoid the junk the mind inside serves up, to deal with the shit the system serves up, and no one means to become an addict. No one put that on their chosen career path. Things I'd like to be when I grow up. No one said, f up. No one did that. Therefore, a crack accident investigation is necessary. When did you take your hands off the wheel of your life? What happened that made you feel wrong and what made you think you'd never be right? When did you stop looking where you were going? What made you stop feeling? Who hurt you? Who left you? How come you're still bleeding? What do you care about? Like, really? Really? What is it that matters to you? And say the stupid, far-out thing, the dream you keep having, the secret that you keep hiding, like you're a boy and you really want to be a girl. Tell us about the version of you without an addiction. Who's that one? How bright is that, son? What would make life worth living? What if you could? What if you could? What if you could? Well, you can.
0: Brilliant, Jerry. I mean, there's so many things there uh, to talk about. Like, um, I've never met anyone who wanted to be uh, who wanted to be an addict. I've never met anyone who goes, um, "I'm going to get on this," so I've got justification for robbing my mom's wedding ring. I've never met anyone i've met so many addicts who have gone down that path and i think your words are so poignant and brilliant brilliant to you did did you write that um recently or was that something
2: no i just wrote it recently whenever i posted it was when i wrote it
0: brilliant so that yeah, is yeah, over yeah. the last couple of weeks days yeah yeah it? over
2: the last few months yeah um i think that was one of the first ones that i wrote. Like kind of what happens is um, I'll get a line or two in my mind and then I've got to go and write it quickly and usually I just write straight onto Facebook I don't write it somewhere else and then cut and paste it like you you might have noticed but probably not that sometimes I've written it posted it and then I've gone back in and edited it afterwards it's like Maybe I should get a book or something <laughs> and write them in a book first or type them in, in, you know, some Word documents or whatever. But I just don't. I just, when when it comes, it comes and I write it. So, but like, lately what I've started doing is um, <laughs> I found this gadget, a teleprompter thing, this app. Yeah. So um, what I was able to do with Craxident was record it and and it looks like when I'm reading it, it looks like I know it. <laughs>
1: Which is I hilarious. use that on one of our videos, funny enough. The <gasps> problem is I couldn't set it at the right height, so I was looking there. <laughs> it's funny though,
2: isn't it? I was like, oh my God, this is like a crazy tour. Yeah. And then I, again, I just kept playing with it. Yeah, yeah I just kept playing
3: with it. Yeah. What What's your feedback, Saren? That was incredible. I was, uh, I was actually going to ask Jerry to uh, share that poem because I think, again, it resonates with me. Obviously, I've mentioned with alcohol and stuff, and I think, one of the things we always used to say, um, myself, my mom, my brothers and sisters was they didn't ask for this. Um, it is an addiction. It needs it needs more awareness because it's very easy to just see somebody who's got an addiction and just be like, oh, it's their fault. For example, you know, we're all that one decision away. Um, mm-hmm. But like you said, with, with the kid with the cake thinking and instantly you're fat. You know, we're all that one decision away. So uh, it, incredible. Really, really um, obviously resonated with me. Got me a little bit choked up, to be honest. Um Thank you for sharing that. I, I'd love, love a copy of that. But just quickly, um, on a lighter note, I, I, I do similar stuff to yourself. So I love storytelling. I don't, I, I don't write poetry, but I'm always writing stuff. And then within like a minute, the wife's in my ear saying, you've made this mistake. You've made this mistake. So all of my posts have edits because I literally <laughs> write from the heart and I just write straight down. But um, a great tool is um, there's a tool called Grammarly. Um, it's a free like browser extension, and it it basically corrects me because I get all my tenses and everything wrong. So if you want to be a little bit um, quicker with it, so yeah, you've got to go back and edit. That 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 will help as well.
2: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you're welcome. I'll find it out. Sherry, uh, just she send it no over to me, and then I'll tag yeah. the Black Country Blokes. in, so yep. you can just listen back, share it, because I think if you know someone who's – when I first um, heard it, I was going through my friends going, like, 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 and I, I, loads of people then start getting to you and I'm thinking, know yeah. oh, no, exa- my old pal here will know exactly mm. the meaning of this. Mm-hmm. You've yeah, got such yeah. a wonderful gift and keep using it. Um, is there anything you'd like to say before?
2: Oh, only to acknowledge what Aaron was saying about stories. And um, I've been doing this group work, this kind of therapeutic uh, group programme for, for a few years now and um one of the one of the questions i always ask people about is like what story are you living in because like we don't know that we're living in stories right but if we can begin to get a sense of okay i'm telling myself a particular story so i'm feeling now a particular way and if i stay in the story i'm going to act a particular way and and i just i just like that you kind of reference the story and actually stories are a powerful metaphor for us because that's what's going on all of the time and um we can use it to our advantage and we can use it to terrorize ourselves, you know?
0: Well, how so. many people just keep living that same page over and over?
2: Absolutely. They,
0: they wear the same clothes that they wore in the teens or the twenties. Mm-hmm. They re- and it's just repeating mm-hmm. chapter instead mm-hmm. of thinking, all right, then we've done that now. Yeah. Just turn the page and yeah. if we don't like it, turn another page. Yeah,
2: yeah. So um Something I think I just wrote, wrote it today or posted it today. It was one of the lines says, um, you're not the story. You're the story creator. You're not your painful tales. You're a meaning generator. And and it's that. It's that. I, I, I would. They're the kind of messages that I want to communicate to people and help them to discover for themselves. You know, that there's actually, they're creating both the story and the meaning all the
0: time. And sometimes we are going to have them dodge a couple of chapters and, you know, mm-hmm. we can't delete it because it's, it's, it's pen on paper, but we've got to just learn from it and try not to repeat it.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that and that becomes part of the story, doesn't it? So um, at one time I couldn't talk about the story of, you know, Cherry the Crackhead and Cherry being in jail without being in tears. There was, was too much shame around it. Um, but it, now it's like it's ancient news. And actually, um, you know it's it, i've moved on far enough away from it to be able to say well yeah this happened but look it was all of these years ago but initially i was like it's, it's also look what look look what's happened since you know yeah, look yeah.
1: where i'm where where i am now and yes. how i'm helping and yeah, yeah uh, and, and sometimes other people have to go through that experience for you to be able to help someone else yes. like we okay. like we do here
2: and isn't that the message when we say to people hold on and mm-hmm. we say to them, don't give up, hold on, because time keeps moving anyway. So at some point, this will be a memory too. It's like, yeah. hold on, hold on. Yeah.
0: But do you think the shame and the guilt stops people taking that leap? Or I find guilt such a killer, and I find shame the same, just because they've wronged some people. They can never quite get over it themselves.
2: Yeah, so again, it's story, isn't it? So. Guilt, Guilt guilt's a really useful emotion. Actually, it's telling us, "Hmm, I've done something wrong. Like I've violated my own values to some degree. Okay, so then is there something I can do to to make amends for that? And sometimes there isn't. Sometimes it is, you know what? Let me not let myself down again. Okay, shame is a different thing though, isn't it? Because shame is not, I did a bad thing. Shame is I'm a bad person. I'm a bad human being. Like it's, shame has got this finite edge to it, which is, you know, that's what makes it so toxic, right? But because we can if we can share if we can share if somebody can spot that when they hear it and kind of you know when you're listening to when you're listening to people sometimes you'll hear it and you can you can spot it and say oh that sounds like you're making a judgment about yourself like you've determined that you're a bad person not that you've done a bad thing and invite them to notice the difference and sometimes it'll take an outside person to hear the difference to be able to feed it back and then you know oh no cuz we're not a bad person People make mistakes, people get things wrong.
0: Just because I've done something bad does not mm-hmm. make me a bad not person. Not at all,
2: not at all. We're not, we're not, that's not how it works. You know, it's just not how it works. Look at Donald Trump, his president. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, it just doesn't work that way. You know, like, and that's what that's what's astounding, isn't it? Is that we see people doing stuff that we think, how oh, can you, where's your conscience? But actually, everyone's mm-hmm. consciences and the regulators of that is quite different, isn't it? But, you know, if you feel guilty, if I feel guilty, I've done something wrong, that's the the feeling, that's what it's communicating to me. You know what, Cherry, like, what was it that you did? You spoke to somebody sharply. Well, it's disrespectful, isn't it? I don't feel okay about that. Let Mm -hmm. me put it right. If I can't put it right, let me do better going forwards. That's the message and the feeling, isn't it? So we do have one more question
1: as well. Um, Sherry and Aaron, do you think the power of word and putting it down on paper gives you calm feelings go on Aaron
3: you go (laughs) okay um yeah absolutely I think for myself um so I've suffered with anxiety pretty much most of my life um I was only really introduced to journaling um a while ago and initially even when I started journaling I was kind of confused like what do I journal like what am I supposed to write here so I had all these books like I've got one now like write it down and forget forget it forever um but then what I started realizing was (laughs) If I could just write like a little bit of a story, and again, same as what Sherry was saying, the stories we tell ourselves, that would literally become our experience almost. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I just found through journaling stuff, one, it would alleviate my concerns, my levels of overwhelm, my anxiety, but it would also make me very creative. So instantly as I'm writing, there'll be like a separate page where I'm like, I've just thought of an idea of a post here or like a story, or I'll be listening to a podcast and I'll be like, I love this section. I can make a whole story from it. So for me, it's definitely something that I enjoy a lot. Um, I used to hate reading and writing as a kid and it's weird because that's the two things that actually do calm me down a lot a lot now. So yeah, great question. Thank you for asking. Over to you, Sherry.
2: So um, I wouldn't say that it gives me calm feelings, but I would say that I find it useful, helpful just to get stuff out sometimes and to help. More, of a, more about, of a release. It, more of a release. Yeah, absolutely. And I like what um, Aaron said about overwhelm because too much, too many options in your mind, then you get them out on paper, and it's there's just less going on in my mind. You know, mm. it, it's a way, that's helpful of getting stuff off your mind, and so writing can be helpful for that. But you know, um, it's it, it's the what. Does this give me a calm feeling? I don't think anything gives us calm feelings. I think that when stuff is off our mind, calm feelings is what we are. You know, when you jump back into the stories of, oh, I think this, I think that, I think the other, then I'm out of my calm feelings. Huh? Um, Whether you put them on paper or whether you go for a walk outside, whether you, you know, just look up at the sky for a minute. Um, you've took yourself out of your head and and... You know, that kind of internal mess and noise. And and, and that's when you know we notice, oh we're okay. You
3: know. Is that being present?
2: Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, I think noticing presence, just noticing presence, like just noticing it, and it's like, oh okay. And and, and you know what I love about that is that none of our external circumstances in that moment have changed one little bit. You know, the game is still on. Stuff is still coming towards us. Things are still difficult in the moment. But actually, I can notice presence. I can notice that. So much of that is, I think we said this this week actually, that like noticing is a superpower, you know, paying attention, noticing that you pay attention, that you can do that. That's a superpower.
0: What you said on the last thing you said one conscious breath is meditation,
2: one conscious breath is a meditation. Yeah, I totally believe that. I tell everybody that, yeah. Very true
0: it is to find out. A... Relax. And just by acknowledging that one, yep. then you can build from that. Yep. That's life, isn't it? Yes. It takes one to make two to yes. make.
2: Yes. So when Aaron was talking earlier about um, uh, how something had landed for him and and how, you know, um, oftentimes parents that are using, they, they, they don't notice because they're running on autopilot they don't do that pause thing you know and if you ever try and slow somebody who's in active addiction down we don't like it like we do not like to be slowed down we don't like to be stopped we just like to be on our missions you don't even go outside and you can you could see people on a mission all the time can't you um but that's what we need more of isn't it so even our funky states even our well-practiced kind of um, behaviors and moods are all of them can be alleviated by that one conscious breath, the practice of the pause, you know, just that, just noticing the pause to notice. And it, a moment, a moment of space, you know, it's, it, it slows down the system and all of those kind of chemicals that are charging around the system just for a moment. Like that's healthy, healthy. And, and we just need more of that stuff.
0: I think because at the moment like we've got emails, Facebook, mm-hmm. phone, mobile phones. In mm-hmm. the good old days you'd have the house phone and if you weren't in, they couldn't get you. Yeah. My
2: yeah. you know mum used to take the phone off. Yeah. <laughs> My <laughs> mum did too.
0: But now like you go on holiday and you see people on the laptops going, Oh, I've got to get this done. You're going, You're on your holiday. Yeah. This is your your week, your weekend, your yeah. fortnight to be with your family or to be on your own yeah. but every time and i'm guilty of it my phone goes oh i've got to get back to it. it's cherry it's lee it's um you mm. are you thinking mm. bump have that another form breath.
1: of addiction isn't it yes yeah. it is yes it is absolutely mm. the only thing is that's probably taking over more people now than than yes. any other addiction ever has absolutely you know there's kids in school now there's the, in secondary school There probably any kid who ain't got
2: a phone who's, yeah. who's not heading towards that addiction mm-hmm. absolutely I haven't seen this this program, the social dilemma yet, but everybody is talking about it, so I feel like I'm going to have to see. But I think it's, the, it's the suggestion is that, it's honestly, it's that
1: scary. way. it's scary. It's really, yeah. How they get you addicted is you don't, you don't. People don't even realise they're they're being drawn in that way.
0: Yeah, it's the same with any addiction as we were saying, the crack yes. incident. Yes. The fo- we'll we'll have one the phone incident. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the thing, wherever it is, you're addiction. It's not the same ring, has it? <laughs> you know, I've got the same ring. <laughs> <laughs> Laugh button. <laughs> <laughs> you missed your chance, Lee. not work on don't, worry, don't uh, <laughs> But it is, so sometimes when you're judging, you're walking past that alcoholic in the street or that person asking for a pound, you're just as addicted as that person, but maybe this addiction's just more acceptable.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And what you're... Pointing to in your kind of story as well is that some people they put off being present with their families to two weeks a year when they go on holiday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so we can we can be flat out workaholics, just you know all of the, and, and then two weeks a year we'll give ourselves a holiday to to be with the family, and we'll be quite stressed whilst we're on that holiday because yeah. we're winding down from the, the the year of work, and then we'll get ramped up again on our way back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it's also story driven, isn't it? Uh, you know, one of the things that's happened usefully in lockdown is that there's been an enforced pause. And then even though I can see that it's going to get, a, you know, there's going to be some significant challenges ahead for lots of people, the enforced pause, like the amount of families I've seen getting on bikes and going places together. I'm not talking middle-class families. I'm talking regular folks. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> who, who, you know, full well, you lot never had bikes the other day. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, but well, it's beautiful, isn't it? You know, there's been this... Some lovely connecting and, and reconnecting for people that's occurred because they've been forced to slow down and their usual go-to kind of identity fixes and ego fixes and expressions, if you like, like, you know, I'll do this for me living in da-da-da. They've gone, haven't they? Gone, you know. Um, people have started, like... Making and decorating and all kinds of creative, wonderful things. You know, when the human being is is kind of left alone, he's all right. <laughs> you don't have to force him to go to work every day, you know? Um, it's kind of interesting to me.
0: Well, Jerry's been wonderful having you on. Um, do you want to advertise next week's guest so I don't get it wrong?
1: <laughs> yeah, no problem. So next week we had Pete Gabacol on from Endeavour Care Training. Um, he's also written a book. Maybe three books actually on dementia. I'm sure he'll correct us next week. So if you have any questions regarding dementia, I'm, I'm sure he'll be able to answer them.
0: Uh, so Cherry, I always did this. Have you got any sayings, quotes, expressions? about you get through times.
2: Um. So the the one that I've got for you today is is one that I wrote, and it was really about because I've been writing, and I had this thing about trying to write poetry that was aligned to the work that I do. And um, so this, this just says that I will walk with you, witness who you become when thought falls away.
0: That's beautiful. I'll well, see each other next time. Take care of yourselves and each other. Tararabit.
1: Listen, listen,
0: listen. And that's a wrap for another show. But if there are any comments or messages that you would like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page, and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, tararabit.